the ear might be the most important part of the body. The ear is the most important part of the body. For by it, that is by our first parents, listening to the devil, we lost paradise. And by hearing today the gospel of Jesus Christ, we get heaven. The prophet Isaiah says in chapter 55, verse 3, Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. The ear. The devil, therefore, attempts to make the heart the most important part of the body. And technology has pushed the I over against the ear. But Christianity must remain all about the ear. As long as we live by faith and not sight, as long as we live by faith and not sight, Christianity will be by the ear. For faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. Hearing. The word of God. We call this hearing sola scriptura. The Bible alone. It's called sola scriptura. It's called Acts 6. That's what we're finding in Acts 6. Acts 6 is really a, a theology of the word, if you will. Many come to Acts 6. Many come to Acts 6 for the office of deacon. Acts 6, the office of deacon, it's a good and necessary consequence of this chapter, but it's not the focus of the chapter. The focus is the word proper, an active word, a word that moves and produces, a word that is active, a word that works. And the word we find in this text does three things, three points, three sermon points. Three points you might want to write down. The word makes disciples. The word creates order. And the word generates prayer. A theology of the word. An active word that makes disciples, creates order, and generates prayer. The truth of Acts 6, the truth of this sermon, I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit would write these wonderful truths upon our hearts and minds, beginning with the Word makes disciples. The Word makes disciples. Chapter 1 begins, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, these days, now in these days, these were the early days of the church, now in these early days of the church, these days were days of of preaching and teaching. There were days in the Word. Look at verse 42. And every day, that's the days, the days in verse 6 are these days, verse 42. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they, the apostles, did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. These days were gospel days. Gospel days. And these gospel days increased the church. Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number. 
have to let you in on a little dirty secret. The prepositional phrase, in number, is not original to the text. The translators assumed that the increase was in membership. So the JSV reads, oops, not wrong. Got to turn to Acts. People often ask me what's the best translation. I'm kind of partial to the Jared's inspired version. But the, Jared, the JSV reads, In these days, while the disciples were growing, while the disciples were growing, I tend to interpret this, the growth, as maturity for several reasons. The first is, this is the first time in all the Bible that believers are called disciples. And what is a disciple? A disciple is one who grows in his faith. A disciple is one who is continuing to mature, becoming more and more obedient to the Word of God. That's a disciple. Also, anytime there is an increase in church number, if the emphasis is membership and not faith, if the increase is membership, not the increase of faith, then Acts always includes the word added. And they were added to them. And then it also has the word number. Added in number are both in the text, but not here. And notice how the maturity comes. Notice the vehicle for Christian discipleship, Christian maturity. It's Acts 4, it's Acts 5, verse 42. It's the preaching and teaching of the word. So if you want to grow in your faith, the question really for you is this. If you want to be discipled, well, the answer, I should say, really is this. Here, incline your ear to the preaching and the teaching of the word. And there will be an increase of faith and discipleship. Now, we also learn that the word does create disciples. It does create membership. Verse 7 says, and the word of God continued to increase. Now, that verb is there. The word of God continued to increase. And the number, that word is there. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. Even many priests became obedient to the faith. That there is the increase of, of membership. And so literally what we find in Acts 6 is the increase of faith, disciples growing in the Lord. And we see in Acts 6 converts to the faith, people being made disciples to the Lord. Even the enemy of the church, that's the priest here. That's when he highlights the priests. Those are the ones who were attacking the church and, and many of them are converting now to the faith. And Luke, the writer of Acts, attributes both to the growth of faith and to the number of the church growing, the increase of membership is attributed both to the preaching of the word. And the word of God continued. And as the word, he says, verse 7, increased. As the word of God increased, as they were taught more and more about the word and taught through the word and with the word. And as the preaching and teaching of God's word increased in Jerusalem, converts, maturity in faith, growth in the Lord. By the ear. Christianity is all about the ear. And we find here that the church is increasing. The maturity of the faith increasing in faithfulness. But still there were issues in the church. 
It says, now in these days, verse 1, as they were, they were increasing in number. And as they were doing that, while they were growing in their faith, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews. There was a complaint against these Hellenists, against these Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now there's another decision we have to make here. Are these Hellenists, are these Hellenists Greek-speaking Jews, or are they just simply Greek-speaking Gentiles? It's an important distinction to make because we have to decide what's the vice in the church. What was the sin in this church? Was it racism? You Gentiles are not real Christians like us Jews. Or is it some kind of patriotism? You Jews aren't real Jews like us. What's the problem? Is it racism or patriotism? And that's an honest question because I don't know. <laughs> There's no indicator here who these Hellenists were. But what I do know is that racism and patriotism don't belong in the church. Now, racism's easy. We all understand racism. That's an easy one. It's not what? The color of skin, but the content of one's character that we should judge. What's Christian character? A Christian character is this. I am not my own, but belong body, flesh, color of skin. Not my own, but long body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the I, when the focus of the I, racism needs the I. Racism is controlled by the I, right? You see this color and you see the difference. But the beauty of the ear is that it's colorblind. The ear is blind. The ear only hears that you are one. That we are all children of God. One in Christ. So there is no race in Christ. There's no Christian race. Nor is there a Christian flag. You might be saying, Pastor, I've seen a Christian flag. Yeah, but there is no Christian flag. You tell me I can't wave my flag? Patriotism is out. You said no patriotism. Can you wave your flag? Yes, outside of the church, go nuts. Wave your flag. Inside the church, no flag waving. No pledge of allegiance. No honoring vets or taking sides of any kind. I can hear it now. This pastor's a pinko communist. <laughs> I'm not a pinko communist. Outside the church, go nuts. You can even join the army or better the Marines. Sorry, I'm waving my flag again. I'm not supposed to do that. No flag waving. Here's the deal with flags, a theology of flags, if you will. Flags wave not only over their citizens, right? Flags wave over their enemies. Flags not only wave in victory, they wave in defeat. Someone's defeated when that flag is hoisted. Flags have bullet holes. Flags can be covered in blood. Flags have enemies. Flags divide. 
And this does not belong in the church. This division does not belong in the church. You, you may never know what one might think of that flag. They might have lost their son or their daughter to that flag and mourn it. Or worse, they lost their family to that flag and resent it. We must rid ourselves. Love your country, but long for a better country. Long for a better country whose founder and builder is God. That's good. The army captain back there is waving, nodding in approval, so I'm good. Now, the church needed to mature, and notice the vehicle for its improvement. Notice how this church improved. There, there's something going on here. There's neglect. And notice the vehicle for improvement. Verse 2, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. The twelve summoned. That verb there, summoned, is a powerful verb, powerful word, summoned. It's the verb Pilate uses when he summons the centurions. It's the word Jesus uses in his parable of the master who summons his servants. Powerful word. And now here, the 12 clergy, if you will, the officers of the church, summon the laity. They're calling them. The church needed to improve, so the church needed ecclesiology. Ecclesiology. Church government is the method of improvement. Church government improves the church. The word creates order. This is our second point. The word creates order in the church. The ancient church was made up of clergy, the twelve, and the laity, the full number of the disciples. The clergy govern. And we see that governing. They're calling. They're summoning the laity. And the laity follow. It's government. It's church order. There's government and order in the church. And there's an order to things in the church with the leaders. It's not right, he says, that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. There's an order of things here. The clergy preach the word of God. And now they're summoning deacons. That verb to serve is the word deacon. It actually, it, in translation, it literally, woodenly, I could translate that. The word of, uh, uh, to give up preaching the word of God to deacon tables. They're not called the deacon tables to care for the physical needs of the church. These men need to be preoccupied with the spiritual needs of the church. Interestingly enough, in verse 4, when it says that we need to devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word, that word there, the noun ministry, is the word deacon. We need to deacon the word. Now, the problem with the clergy is that they were pulling a double deacon. They were serving the physical needs of the church. And they were serving the spiritual needs of the church. And here they show the priority of the clergy. They are there. Their responsibility is to serve the spiritual needs of the church. They don't have time for the physical needs. So they appoint these seven men who become deacons to deacon. To serve the physical needs and care of the body. Ministers need to be preoccupied with the word of God. 
and with teaching the Word of God. In teaching and preaching and handling the Word of God, spiritual needs are demanding, and so our time should be occupied accordingly. That's really what drew me to the URCNA when I was in the Korean American Presbyterian Church, the KAPC, and I was leaving. Uh, not because I hated church, we loved the church, but just the Korean language was a little obstacle, so we decided to just go to a, a, an English-speaking denomination. And there were several we could choose from, the OPC we were looking at, and the, the URCNA. And what drew me to the URCNA is when I met with the minister in Oceanside, Reverend Hyde, and I asked, what, would, what, would, what are my duties going to be in my internship? I just really want to know what I'm going to do as an intern. He told me, your duties, in, your duties as an intern is just to study at seminary. <laughs> study and prepare to preach and teach. You're going to be preaching and teaching in this church. And I was sold. Because sometimes internships have you do a lot of other things. If you've, entered, if you've ever had an internship, you know what I mean. But the gospel ministry is our devotion. It's the order of our ministry in the church. The word is the ministry. And we need ministers to rightly handle, handle the word of God. Verse 3. He says, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. Pick out these men. The church picks out their own deacons. That's the order of the local church government. Later on in Acts 15, we're going to see the necessity of the broader church and the necessity for, for delegates and elders and ministers to delegate or to uh, uh, rule. We're going to really see the priority of Presbyterianism in Acts 15. But right now, it's the narrow order of the church, the local church. Here, the local church governs herself. She elects her own officers. We call them lay officers. She elects lay officers. And not just any lay officers, but men of good repute, full of spirit and wisdom. And then notice there's order. And we will appoint. The clergy will appoint them. You, you call them. You choose them. You have the right to choose your own men, but they will ordain them. The clergy ordain. The clergy appoint. Now, there's a lot of interesting things we could spend a lot of time in this verse few things to say because of our culture. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men. Here's a good hermeneutical lesson. It's men, not women. Never in the Bible do you see women being called to any office. There were no female disciples of Christ. There were no female deacons. There are no female elders. You see men. Now, that word deacon, I told you that word deacon, I've used it twice already in this text. I've used it as deacon to uh, serve tables, and there's deacons who serve ministry. Jesus calls himself a deacon. I've come not to be deaconed, but to deacon. He says, I've not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. So in a sense, the gospel is to deacon. Now, often you'll see women called deacons in the Bible, but it's that, that's that plasticity of that word. It means a lot of things. Here's a good hermeneutical rule. Just because you see a word, a lexem attached to a person doesn't mean that that word has a priority other than its context. You let the Bible interpret the Bible. And there is here a consequence, a lasting consequence in the Christian church. There's elders, there are deacons, there are men. And you will hear that elders and deacons and men must meet these qualifications. And when you read the qualifications later on in God's word, you're going to see that there are in fact supposed to be in the church elders, and there are in fact supposed to be deacons in the church, and these are all men. The word creates order. It only allows men to serve. And notice it doesn't allow just any kind of man, but men of good repute, men full of the spirit, men full of the wisdom. Not any man can be an officer in the church. I remember again back in seminary, 
all the seminary students studying and learning about the qualifications for, for officers. I remember the qualifications being landed at our feet in one class particularly, and after the class, all of us men, young men, we go out and we're all talking and we're all gathering amongst ourselves and we all agreed amongst ourselves that none of us were qualified. <laughs> to a man, we're all like, I don't think I make it. <laughs> you better go find another job. And as I have trained men for elders, as I have trained men for deacons, to a man, they've all said the same thing. I don't know if I qualify. The point is not perfection. It's discipleship. Is the word actively discipling men, preparing men, and calling men to serve in Christ's church? The word creates men to serve. Some serve tables, the physical needs, some the ministry. Verse 4, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's the, that's the order of clergy. That's the calling. That's the duty of the ministers of the word. They must give their full attention to the ministry. And because they must give full attention to the ministry, the word has created government. Verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith. They, and of the Holy Spirit, he's highlighted because the, the chapter is really about Stephen, as we'll see later. And Philip, and Procurius, and, and Nicanor, and Timon, and uh, Parmenes and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. The church followed the order of the apostles. They, they call these men, and they call these men, and they set them to this task because the word of God needs ecclesiology. The word of God needs sound church order, sound church government, so the word creates it. The word creates order. It creates discipleship. And here's the deal, friends. Do you want to grow as a disciple in Christ? Do you want your faith to grow? Do you want your children to increase in faith? Make that good profession of faith and so forth. Do you want to be a man, a woman of God? Then you need church government. I never heard that before. I guarantee I'm probably the only one saying it in Missoula. Ecclesiology creates and nourishes and strengthens disciples. The word creates order. The word creates disciples. The word creates order. Now we need to back up for my third point. The word generates prayer. In verse 4 we see that the apostles say that we must devote ourselves to prayer. And prayer is primary. Prayers first, at least, on the list. They devote, we devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Why is prayer first? Our own church order, Article 2 on the office and duty of elder of ministers. Article 2 of our church order says, The duties belonging to the officer of minister, the office of minister of the word, consists of continuing in prayer. Our own church order begins as the text here. A devotion to prayer. The first duty of ministers in our churches, in the URCNA churches, is prayer. Why? Because it is the minister's duty to handle the Word of God. And it's a weighty task. And so ministers must 
go to God in prayer. Because if we do not handle the word rightly, if we do not use the word of God rightly, then the ministry is in vain. And so we find here that prayer serves the word. But the word creates and generates the prayer, and the prayer turns and serves the word. And we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The ministry of the word is the active agent in discipleship. It's what creates disciples, makes disciples. But the word needs order. The word needs prayer. And when these things are all in order, we read in Acts 12, 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. Acts 19, 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Acts 7 here, and the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. In Acts, the word of the Lord is active. And we're going to see that over and over again. In the book of Acts, the word is moving. The word is producing. And we are born creatures of the word. We are born creatures of the word. We are strengthened as we feed on every word of the Lord. We are creatures nourished by the activity of the word. We are creatures of the word. And then verse 6, back to polity. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. We're back to church order. And the setting here is ceremonial. You could even say it's sacrificial. They set before the apostles. That setting is the same setting that the Old Testament priests were set. The Old Testament set the priests before the Lord and ordained priests. And here now these deacons are being set before the apostles, consecrated, pulled out from among the rest, devoted to the Lord, devoted to deacon. And they lay their hands on them. And they prayed, the gesture, the symbol empty, without prayer. But they ordained these men by the laying on of hands. In verse 7, and the word of God continued. And that conjunction, and, look at that conjunction. It's a powerful little conjunction, and. That conjunction connects, verse 7, it connects the church growth to what previously happened. It connects it to the, the power of the word. It's connecting the, the, the power of the word to the order of the word, to the government of the word, to the church, to the order, to the government, to the ecclesiology, to the teaching and the preaching. You see, we're going to grow as a church. We need all these things. We need prayer. We need our ministers praying. We need order. Right? Do all things decently in order. The joke at classes is like everything we vote on, we always vote, yeah, that's decent and orderly. <laughs> Let's vote yes on that. It's all done decently and orderly. Is it decent? Is it orderly? Does it follow God's word? We need prayer. We need a order. We need to hear the word of God. Now, there's something very important here, and it's subtle. It's very subtle, so you might have missed it. This is a discipleship text, by the way. The text begins with the first word, the first use of the word disciples. It's a text on discipleship, growing in discipleship, becoming disciples. It's a how-to. 
This text is really a how to become a disciple and how to to grow as a disciple. And the interesting thing is you read and study this how to text, the disciples here do nothing. The disciples are passive. But church government, it's moving. It's being produced. It's moving. It's going. The ministers are preaching and teaching. What does this mean for us? It means Galatians. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. Paul says again, he asks, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing? Have you begun by the Spirit? Are you being perfected by the flesh? Are you suffering many things? If indeed it was in vain, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you? Notice that he's doing it among them. Does he do so by works of the law? Is it by your works of the law? Is it your doing, disciples? Or are you simply those who hear? Or is it by hearing? It's a law or gospel question. Discipleship, is it law or gospel? Is it hand or the ear? Is your eye the primary focus? Your feet, your movement? Or is it the ear? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Here's the point. Discipleship is free. Discipleship is a product of grace alone. It is a work of Christ alone. It's something you receive and embrace by faith alone. That's why the ear is so important. Think about the ear. The ear doesn't do anything. The ear is passive. It's a passive organ. It's an organ... I don't know. You doctors can correct me. They're strange looking. I know that. If you wrestle, you have really even yours looks even weirder. But it's passive. It doesn't do anything. The reason corporate worship is so important, you sit there and hear. You can't do anything. You can't turn me off. You can't pause me. You can't, hey, I turn up that point. I like that point. Oh, I don't like the point he's making. Uh, Let's fast forward through that point. No, you have to just sit there and hear and receive it all. You hear that a grace, you hear about a grace that's greater than your sin. Grace greater than your sin and that truth transforms you. There's something very important here that's been lost in the church. What's discipleship today? It's you, it's private, often. Discipleship is seen as this private thing, right? It's something you do at a coffee shop with some brothers or sisters. It's a book you read and discuss at a dinner table. Or the earbuds plugged into your ears, you listen to your favorite podcast. Those are all good things, mind you. But the primary the primary means of grace, the primary means of discipleship is worship. That's what we're seeing in this text. Acts 6 reminds us that discipleship happens at church. This, my friends, is discipleship. 
worship is discipleship. And we will be no disciples without it. We need Christ and his church. We need the means of discipleship, the preaching and teaching of the word, the order of the church, and prayer. Worship is discipleship. We are a people of the ear. Amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.